Hello and welcome. I'm Shannon Shotler, your host, and this is The Messy, Mucky Middle, a podcast dedicated to talking with real people about the most real parts of their life and career transition stories. Today, our guest is Sarah Jane Case. Sarah Jane is a trained Enneagram teacher, author of The Honest Enneagram, and host of the Enneagram and Coffee podcast. She helps people to find their perfect balance between self-care and growth so they can release shame on their path to doing less harm. Her latest book, The Enneagram Letters, releases October 18th and is available for pre-order now. But what we want to talk about today is her time spent navigating that messy middle from coach to full-time writer. So this will be Sarah Jane's messy middle story. Sarah Jane, thank you so much for volunteering, for being willing, for saying yes. I'm so excited to be here. I will talk to you anytime, anywhere. Thank you so much. So Sarah Jane, I often like think about, or I feel like I've seen for folks that transitions, messy middles begin at an ending. And I'm curious for you to share with us, like what was ending in your life when this story of coach to writer begins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think I, you know, I want to say it was like the ending to having to be busy all the time. And I think I really felt, I think, you know, I grew up in a a poverty environment, really poor. And I knew I grew up and I was like, I'm going to make my way out of here. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to make money. And so I learned how to hustle and I hustled really well. Like I was very good at it and I liked it. Being busy was like a happy place for me for a lot of years. And then slowly, you know, through studying the Enneagram, I started to understand that I was solving all my problems through more and like adding more in. And okay, I'm feeling stressed right now. I'm going to add a program. Okay. I'm feeling stressed right now. I can like add a service, add a product. And so I was just adding more and more and more. And I even, one time I even looked at like, okay, what are all of my offerings? I have probably 10 to 13 offerings wow. and no marketing plan for any of them. Right. Like I was like, I have no like way for people to buy these things, but I've made all these things. And that was not functioning for me because mm-hmm. it was just like, just like this roller coaster hyper speed, go, 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 and then crash, go, 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 crash. And, you know, really coast off of the work that I was doing when I was hustling. And then, oh, oops, time to hustle again. So, I through therapy and through understanding the Enneagram, I came to just this realization that my nervous system had settled at overdrive. And that's yes. what it knew. That's what felt comfortable. So it was like fun, quote unquote. But like actually when I started to take things off my plate, hustling started to feel unbearable. It was like all of a sudden my nervous system's like, absolutely not. <laughs> and you know, it yeah. felt normal is now unbearable. And so I really started to just learn trust, which is not come naturally when you feel like I'm supposed to earn everything that I achieve. Everything that I get, I have to work really, really hard for it because that's what money was to me. Mm. And so, yeah, so the ending really came to the ending of disbelief and the ending of self-reliance um, oh. and and lack of trust in the universe to – and like my worth that like I can – do one thing or two things and do them really well. And people will like that. Mm. 
instead of doing, you know, being kind of a Renaissance person who's doing everything all the time. Oh my God. You were like speaking to my Enneagram three heart right now. <laughs> in so many ways of just like, like vulnerably, I feel like that's a transition that I'm moving through right now mm-hmm. of just like that, like, oh, I'm actually going to attune to what's happening in my body and my nervous system and release the story that I have to be busy or productive or hustling all the time to be okay or to feel okay in my own nervous system. So, oh my God, gorgeous. I so appreciate you sharing that. How do you, like, if you go back to that time, how do you remember feeling in those early days? The early days of letting things go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Terrified. (laughs) Yeah. Terrified. I thought everyone's going to hate me because I had this program that was my lifeblood. You know, I, and it was everything I loved. I loved everything about it. And I had built my entire life around it, you know, really like my life was structured in service of this program. Yeah. And there were people who, you know, have paid for the program who have lifetime memberships to the program. And it's not like I, erased all the content and they don't have access to it. But like my consistent presence had to stop. And I thought everyone's going to hate me. All These are my biggest cheerleaders, my biggest supporters, the people who like I feel like I have a shared relationship with, you know, like they're not just people I'm talking to on the internet. It's like people who I feel invested in. And what if they get so mad at me <laughs> because yeah. I can't be as invested in it them in the way that I have been. And, you know, maybe one person got mad at me and maybe a couple people had quiet feelings they didn't share with me. But, like, most people were very supportive and understood and and cheered me on and were rooting for me. It wasn't, you know, my, my head, it was so, so scary. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of those people in the Brave Collective. And I, and I loved the Brave Collective and also, like, fully support you in being, like, your beautiful, fully expressed human self. <laughs> So you have those feelings or those thoughts of like being terrified um, and being worried that people are going to hate you. What helped you move through that? You know, I think it's partially that I had people like you in my community. And part of what I was teaching in the community was being your own best advocate, right? Like prioritizing yourself, putting your needs first, recognizing how to prioritize your needs. setting boundaries, advocating for yourself. Like this is all the stuff that I'm teaching with my mouth. So I better be able to do it with my actions, you know? So it's like, this is actually just another moment of invitation to continuing that work of if it makes you uncomfortable to see me do what's best for me, that's interesting. Mm. You know, how do you feel like you can do that for you? And that was kind of the conversations I did have with the few people who were upset ended up in that place of, well, let's explore what's going on here. Let's talk about why we're feeling this way, what's going on. And it's like, oh, I don't give myself that permission. So it feels rude when you do it. And, you know, ultimately everyone should have that permission. Yeah. Yeah. So did you know at the time that you were maybe like beginning to to shut doors on different offerings of yours, did you know that the path was towards full-time writer? I wanted it to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I I don't know if I've ever really felt confident that that would be it and that that would sustain me. And, and it, podcasting is a large part of what I do as well. And, yeah. and so those two things together really, that's it. But 
yeah, the belief that that's possible. I don't know if I, <laughs> I still don't know if I fully digest that. Yeah. Yeah. Which like how human of you, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about that at the end of just like the, sometimes these stories are not neat and tidy and have these like crisp, mm-hmm. clean, like, look, I've arrived and things like you might still be arriving on an internal plane and, mm-hmm. and or external plane. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just appreciate your honesty in that. So rest and reflection are also what I find to be two big themes in people's messy middles. I talk about them all the time until I'm blue in the face. Did you take any time to restore yourself through this change? Yeah. I mean, I would say we quarantined all of 2020 Mm -hmm. and didn't leave our house. And I think that's where my nervous system balanced. Mm -hmm. And I finally was like, oh, this is what peace feels like. This is what rest feels like. This is how integrated rest could be for me. And it was almost like I was given this like possibility. So when we started kind of integrating back into the world and life started picking up again, I was like, oh no, (laughs) you know, it was kind of like I was forced into that rest and forced into that time of reflection. And then getting out of it felt like I've got to do it different. I can't do it the same way that I've been doing it. I have to change I have to change the way I've been operating. Yeah. And did you did you experience any grief at that point? Like where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, I have to make some changes. Was there any grief present for you in that of like mm-hmm. having to let go of those parts of your identity? Yeah. I mean, I think there was literal grief. Like I lost my father that year. Mm-hmm. And then there was the grief of changing. And I think also the grief of quarantine being over, if I'm honest. I got really happy and really comfortable and everything was just contained. Like everything was in my house. Everything I had to worry about was like in my home. And, um, that was really comforting and safe for me. So then it was kind of like, Oh, I'm, I'm exploring the part of myself. That's a little scared. That's a little nervous, which typically I think I lead with bravery. I lead with like comfort in putting myself out there, comfort in trying new things. And it's almost like, I had to get to know myself again as like the part of me that's a little bit nervous that doesn't know that everyone's going to just want to talk to me (laughs) if I talk to them or like just all these like new sensations. But I think also the literal grief of experiencing the loss of my dad kind of put my life into perspective of like, okay, girl, like we got to figure this out. Like we're not going to, we're not going to go out of this world without having at least tried to do exactly what we want to be doing. And so the things that aren't working for you, we need to fix them. It felt just much more urgent and matter of fact and scary at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's something that um, when you talked at the beginning of the busyness, I feel like that's something that I'm in this process of grieving right now of like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm grieving the self that could get so much done in a day Mm -hmm. versus the self that attends and attunes to her nervous system and what she might need at any moment. Mm-hmm. So I veered off course a little bit, but I'm curious for us to go back to restoration a little bit more to help listeners. Cause I think sometimes people hear that word and they're like, what the hell does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And everybody's version of that can look so different. So, so what did your, what does your version of restoration really look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm interested. Cause I think 
when I hear restoration, I think of like a rebuilding or a restoring. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, for me, you know, was deep rest, deep reflection. I journal every day and just asking myself questions, being extremely curious with myself about who are you right now? Where are you? What's working? What's not working? What would feel better than this? Mm-hmm. Um, where have you felt happy the most in your life? Um, and then also, I really believe it was like getting comfortable with being still, getting comfortable with discomfort <laughs> and mm-hmm. like allowing the sensation of discomfort to to live in my body and me still know I'm okay. And I say that because a big part for me, I'm I'm an Enneagram 7. If you don't know the Enneagram, we love happiness and satisfaction. We chase our bliss. We don't mind changing things. But what we do mind is staying with something for a long time. And so, you know, this realization of if this is my dream, writing and podcasting, like these two things together, this is my big dream. If I accomplish that, what next? Do I just commit now to something forever? Like, am I doing the same thing forever? Uh And like that, I had to really come to grips with like, oh, this might just be a job sometimes. Sometimes like this dream of mine will just feel like a normal day in the life and it will just be what I do for my job. And that I had to really digest the reality that like this is work it's not just like play and therefore like I'm committing to kind of the boring elements of it as well which every personality type is going to orient around that sensation differently but for me that's terrifying that was the hard Uh, part yeah that was the hard part was like the committing to the new as if it's going to be old one day and also knowing that like like actually having my dream means now my dream is work. It's not like the future thing I get to dream about. It's now the thing I have to do. You are so. blowing my mind right now. <laughs> you are blowing my mind right now. Like I'm I love this like this path like thinking about this a little bit. Mm. So so you have to get to this place where you have to accept like, oh shit, if I actually go for it and then I achieve it, like then this is just my every day now. And mm-hmm. can I be okay with that? Can I live with that? Mm-hmm. And can I appreciate it in its normalcy? Yeah. This ties in. I, I told Sarah Jane before we jumped on that I, I did some journaling this morning of some other questions that I was like, I'm just curious. And one of them was like, is it all sunshine and roses now? You know, because like <laughs> you've achieved like this, this dream that you've had. Uh, frankly, I can even remember the first time I met you and us mm-hmm. sitting in a coffee shop and me asking you, I don't even know how I framed the question, but it was basically like, like what do you really want to do someday? And you telling me, I want to mm-hmm. be a writer. And mm-hmm. so for me, it like brings chills and so much joy and emotion to me to f- see you doing it now. Mm-hmm. I don't get choked up thinking about that again. So it's, and I found myself curious, like, okay, she's quote unquote arrived. Mm-hmm. Is it all sunshine, butterflies and roses? No, of course not. <laughs> and I think, honestly, it's the scariest thing I've ever done, right? Like I, and I think only, you know, the reality too of a job like this is that 10% is the part that you love to do. You know, yeah. I the writing I get to do. I did the writing a year ago in private in my little like 
hole, my little hobbit hole. And then (laughs) now it's like we're promoting and we're selling and we're talking about it. And, and all of that's really fun too, in its own way. But it's also like, oh, people are going to read this now. Like soon this will be in people's hands. They will be reading it and they're going to judge it and decide if they like it or they don't like it. It's the the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. Mm. And it's, you know, worth it. it. But it's like, um, we talk, I've talked about, I think we, you and I have talked about this before, but just every job sucks. No matter yes. how good the job is, like it sucks. Yes. And there are parts of the job and there are days, like literally yesterday, I was like, I woke up, I cleaned, I cooked, I went to work, I went home, I cleaned, I cooked, <laughs> I had dinner with my family, I got my kid into the shower, I cleaned, I cooked, I cleaned up from that. I read a little bit and then I fell asleep exhausted. And I was like, highlight of my day was like going to the bookstore with my 10 year old, you know, because like it's work still. Well, and I love the normalcy. I I love that. And also I I love the normalcy of that. Maybe that's my like little six ish. Where do threes, the threes go to six in in good times. Isn't that like, yeah, when we feel safe. safe. So maybe that's my six coming out of like, Oh, that feels safe, secure. But for a seven, yeah, it would be like, Oh, I don't want to have to do this every day. Yeah. And then and the it, cur- undercurrent for me is like, am I settling? Am I settling? Am I settling? Oh. That's like the internal dialogue of the seven is just like, don't settle, don't settle, don't settle. Mm. And that really makes it hard to settle <laughs> like in, in, in the healthy way, in the like ease of being, of resting into a new phase because the new phase starts to become your new normal, which normal starts to feel scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit that this part of the conversation is reminding me of one of my favorite quotes. Um, Becky Roloff, I wouldn't expect anybody to know her. She's president of St. Kate's University. And she, I remember her speaking to a, my f- freshman year class in college. And she said, no matter what job you're going to have, there's going to be a set of 68 problems to solve. The question mm-hmm. is, what set do you want to be yours? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like it's not going to all be, there will still be problems. There will still be marketing to do for a book. There will still be whatever it goes with the territory, there will still be Instagram stories to make. The question is like, do you want that problem set? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad we're touching on that. Yeah. I honestly, like I had a moment at the movies. I went to the movies in the middle of the day on a Friday and I was like in there and I was like, this is it. This is why like you, you do the normal days because like in the middle of the day, you can go watch a movie and like, look at this freedom that you have that like, you wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. Yeah. So another theme that emerges sometimes in messy middles is experimenting, like giving yourself permission to mm. try on like new ways of being, new things of, that you're doing. Did that play any role in your messy middle? Yeah. I think, you know, this whole book is an experiment mm. for sure. Like the entire concept, because there. I really, I have a lot of books I want to write. I have a very clear writing style that I, uh, I know, but it doesn't really can, it doesn't really work for the Enneagram because the Enneagram mm-hmm. is like a, a thing most people write as like a textbook. Like, here's what it is. Here's how it works. Here's what you need to know. And I was like, I want to write, you know, I, I know the Enneagram is what people want from me right now. And I want to write, I want to write like I write. And so we, I, created a concept that I pitched to my publisher and was like, can we try this? Because this is, 
might not make any sense to anybody because it's a new thing no one's ever done. And it's so far made sense to people. But yeah, it's just like this could work. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Yeah. And how did you feel or how are you feeling in this like experimental phase? Mm -hmm. I think the best part, the best thing I've done is I created a street team and we're reading the book together. Uh And so I've been able to like watch people react to it in real time and it's happening. And I'm like, okay. So what I I wanted was to explore the part of me that is each of the nine Enneagram types, thus giving you permission to explore the part of you that is carrying these, all these nine pressures. Mm. And so I'm like, you know, the last street team meeting, we're talking about type one and we're all talking about like our inner critic. And then I asked them, do you have any thoughts on any of the other pieces. And each of them had a different piece, a completely different piece in the chapter that resonated with them the most and showed them a little bit more about who they are, about their parental systems, about how they react to their mothers and like all of these different things. And I was like, this is it. It's happening. Like you're seeing yourself through like me sharing my humanity. You're able to experience your humanity with more ease and more knowing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. Me too. So you, you've, you, you know, you're running some experiments in the writing realm um, and you're making the decision to close Brave Collective and do, doing these different things. Like I'm not saying that's the order of events, but we don't know what the order of events is and that's okay. What I'm curious about though, is how did you know quote unquote, no, use that word loosely, what the right next step was for you as you're moving through this messy middle? I think it is a just staying in constant conversation with myself. I think that's the thing that has helped me the most in all of my transitions is really just, I talk to myself every day and I do that in my journal. Everybody does it in their own ways, but I check in every morning, every week, every month, every quarter, every year, and just am constantly paying attention to what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what's working, what's not working, and making adjustments. And so I think in that conversation, how I knew it was time was just recognizing that what I was craving was stability and what I was creating was the opposite of that. So I was holding on so tightly to this thing because I thought this offers me consistency and stability, but programs, online programs live in launch mode. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly having to promote it, launch it, sell it, convince people to, you know, get into it, which I don't like to convince people to do anything. (laughs) So um, that sensation was just really taxing for me of just like, okay, I'm, I need to resell this to people. I need to get people to do this. Um, and I think I was just tired of convincing. Yeah. You talked about like um, paying attention to what feels good and what feel what doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what does that feel like in your body? We've talked a lot mm-hmm. about the nervous system a little bit today. And for you, what does good feel like in your mm-hmm. body? I can breathe deeper. Oh. Um, I feel grounded. Um, I feel like more sturdy and strong. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like, um, rooted into the earth. Uh, and I feel still like I can just be here right now 
And I think a lot of times the seven energy in the Enneagram, we have kind of a motor that's constantly running that is kind of like I'm two steps ahead of my body and my mind at all times. Mm -hmm. And when I can just be in my body without wanting to escape it, without wanting to run from it, that means everything's okay. You know, when I have that sensation of I need like the motor undercurrent of movement, like just begging me to to move, I know that something's wrong, <laughs> that like something's not okay. God, I needed to hear that answer. I'm so glad <laughs> we went there to pay attention to what's happening in the nervous system a little bit. Has there ever been a point where you doubted? Every day, literally mm-hmm. every day, every mm-hmm. single day, like this morning, yesterday morning. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And what do you do then in those moments where the doubt is there? Mm, I love myself so well. (laughs) Yeah. I I just like got really touched because I think like, what do I do? I I put my hand on my chest and I say, it's okay, girl. It's okay. And I like literally call myself baby or like, you're okay. I love you. You're doing great. Um, this is, you're doing the best you can do. Like everything's going to be okay. And if it's not okay, like you will be fine. Um, so that's my immediate, like to doubt is just kind of like pouring love back in. Mm. Um, but also I like to run it to all the way to the end. Okay. So like, let's say my doubt right now is that I write this book and then I just get a ton of bad reviews. Like people don't understand it. People are angry about it and I get a ton of negative reviews. And then I'm like, oh, well, you've gotten negative reviews before. How did you react to that? And I'm like, oh, I don't really take it personally because it's not really personal. And getting critique on your writing is typically just feedback for how to be a better writer. And so it's like, oh, actually, if that were to happen, I'd be okay. And worst case scenario, I don't get to write a third book, which is with my current publisher. Well, what's my plan then? Okay, I can self-publish. I can start you know, pitching essays to magazines, like, I'll be fine. I'll be okay. And so I think like running it to its course is very soothing for me because it's like worst case scenario, I'll be okay. On that note, I do also like to go and read the negative reviews for things that I love. So podcasts I love or books that I love, I like to go look at their one-star reviews because it doesn't, because I know it, I like it. So if people hate it, then it helps me when I get negative reviews because it's like, well, some people will hate it. Some people will love it. And it just depersonalizes it. I freaking love that. I've heard you. I remember you giving me the advice of like, run it, run it through, like run it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I love how that gives you like possibility again. It's like finding mm-hmm. options for yourself again of like, oh, there's going to be options. Even if this mm-hmm. happens, like this isn't the end of the road. As I try like so many times to get it to the end, no, I can find ways for me to get out even at that point Mm -hmm. or for me to help myself even at that point. Let's talk a little bit. I mean, this whole conversation has been so human, which I love about you in general, but let's dig in a little bit more to the human elements. Sometimes I think people, sometimes I hear people say like, well, transitions, like they're not really a time where I can learn anything, like, because I'm in between two places. Like I'm no longer a coach, but I'm not yet like a full-time writer. And personally, I think that's just like total shit. There's a lot that we can learn (laughs) in the weird middle places. 
And so I'm curious if you reflect on that middle place, what Mm -hmm. new skills or ways of being did you learn in the Mm in-between? Yeah. I mean, I learned stillness, (laughs) the ability to be still. I think when I wrote this book, I started writing every day by sitting in stillness for 15 minutes. Actually, I started at five in total silence. I started at five minutes and then I worked my way up to 15 minutes (laughs) and, um, and so I, I learned how to be in silence. I learned skills. I mean, like as I'm writing poetry, like I'm co- I'm constantly reading poetry and learning what I like, what I don't like, how to improve. And I think that that's, I think that's why I kind of feel like I'm always in transition because I think I'm always learning. Like I don't know that I'll ever stop. I hope I never stop learning. I hope yeah. that I'm always curious and always. I, I wrote in my journal yesterday, like, I feel like the older I get, the more that I know, the less I feel like I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. The more aware of how little I know. Because I used to, like, in my early 20s, like, I had answers. And I knew, yes, what was right, what was wrong. I love to give advice. It felt really easy to give advice. And now I'm like, what's right for me at yesterday might not be right for me tomorrow. So how could I know what's right for you today or tomorrow? I just feel like I have way more questions and answers now. Yeah. So I think in the middle, I think, I, I think I'm always every day want to be learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like learning the skill of stillness, but then also learning um, a phrase that's been coming through for me a lot lately is learning how to be with, like mm-hmm. be with the questions, be with mm-hmm. the mystery, be with the lack of answers. And mm-hmm. and I do think that's a skill versus always mm-hmm. having the answer or having to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Like, can we hold the in-between a little bit? Mm-hmm. How is your lifestyle different? This was one of the ones that I woke up to. I was like, oh, I'm just curious. Like, how how is her lifestyle different than it was yeah. when she was a coach? Yeah. Uh, I There were times in my life where I was waking up you know, I'd wake up at 5.30. I would have my really, you know, lengthy morning routine. Then I would go to work. I would spend the morning just like getting as much work done as I possibly could. I would take a little lunch break. And then I would spend the afternoon all in meetings. And then I would usually close around 6 and go to dinner, you know, do dinner, go home. I was also traveling a lot at that time, which I still yeah. – I feel like I still am at this point. Um I would say now I, I, if I'm honest, it feels like bad to say. I oh, but let's like, go there. <laughs> I probably work like four hours a day now. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. I freaking love that. Say more, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I probably work like four hours a day and I took the summer off to be like my summer of pleasure. So I didn't force myself to do anything like a morning routine or an evening routine or read nonfiction books. I just read beach reads and I listened to my body all summer long. So whatever she wanted, she got. And I think that that was one of the best things I could have done is just give myself that season. And like I told Shannon beforehand, like that's not really functional in the fall because we have a kid in school. My husband's in school. Life's just busier. But now I'm like, okay, I've built this new muscle of listening to my body, responding in the moment, because I think my lifestyle before was very much like, listen, body can wait. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Until tasks are done. Mm-hmm. And then, and it was very, I'm very like a practical person. So I would solve my work-life balance problems with like math. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, if I give myself three hours in the morning to do all of my self-care activities, then I can be a robot for the rest of the day. Like that's how it's going to be. And now I, I'm in a conversation with my body all day long. So if she's hungry, she gets food. If she's thirsty, she can have a drink. If she wants to do yoga at, in the middle of the afternoon, she can have yoga in the middle of the afternoon. It doesn't have to all be like shoved into this like window of time before we start our day in the morning. Uh, and, you know, I think that's a privilege to get to do that. And I, I recognize that. Um but even if I were, you know, in a corporate situation, like being able to just stretch at my desk or take a little walk at lunchtime, things like that. But yeah, just listening to myself yeah, and letting her lead, like letting my, my body lead the day. Yeah. Has your community or support system changed at all through this transition mm. from coach to writer? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely has changed. I'm interested in how it might be connected to job, you know, but I think I'm much more like, I think as I've changed, like my visibility has gone up. And so my desire for privacy has gone up and kind of in conjunction. Mm. So I think that if I think about being online before, yeah. I shared everything, you know, yeah. it was just kind of like an open book every day, share, share, share. Um, now I don't always share my location or until I've mm-hmm. left the location. Um, I have, I don't share my kid's name online anymore. Um, so I think that the sense of reciprocity is in online community has gone down because I share less about myself. So therefore I get less from other people, which Uh I really miss. I really miss that sense of like, I'm connected and close to my online community. At the same time, I really let value my privacy at this stage of life. And so sometimes, and I'm very much can convince myself that like, I just like to be alone all the time. It's very easy for me to just be alone. So um, my real life connections as well tend to be have are kind of all long distance now. So yeah. that's also changed. And I think that changes because my job's weird, if I'm honest. Like <laughs> <laughs> and like talking to people who live normal lives about yeah. my weird job feels uncomfortable. And it mm. feels like um how can I be authentic? about my life, meeting someone for the first time. And they're like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a writer and an author. I'm an author and a podcaster. And like, that's my literal dream. And I'm like bursting about it. But I also don't want to, I don't want to seem braggy and I don't want to seem overly, I want to seem like um, delusional about it. Like everything's great. Everything's good. Yeah. And it's usually met with like really beautiful enthusiasm because people think it's cool. And then I feel out of my sort, out of sorts, kind of like I, like there's a lot of, um, I don't feel relatable, I think is the easy word. I like being relatable and I no longer feel relatable. 
Yeah. Oh, what a big word oh. to unpack. And I can, I'm, I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with a, co- not my coach, but a coach friend of mine of like something that I wanted to do. And I was like, but I'm worried I won't be relatable anymore. Mm-hmm. Like what a big word to unpack. Mm-hmm. But I love that we're we're talking about just the community support system element because I think that's a thing that we don't, we gloss over sometimes in transition of like, that can be tender. Mm-hmm. That can mm-hmm. be tender to acknowledge how relationships are going to change, whether if it's with your online community or with close friends and whatnot. Would you say, this is more just like fun facty question. Would you say that you have more writer friends now? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> I honestly don't. I, sometimes like I have like multiple friends who are New York Times bestsellers and I yes. don't know how it happened. Like, why are you sending me mail? <laughs> how did this happen? Like I, and it really felt like it just happened one day yeah. and I don't really like, yeah. And, and, oh, let's get like the shame of reciprocity in that as well of just like, mm. can I ask you to do things with me? Or do you just ask me to do things with you? Like, it's just, yes. it's weirdly, and it's like get it going to a new school. Yeah. I, it was, as you were talking, as you just said that question, I was thinking, oh, it's like figuring out the the norms in like a new yeah. um, work environment, if you will. Cause like, this yeah. is, these are your new colleagues, peers, uh-huh. and like, you don't know quite yet how this all goes. <laughs> like, how and like, do why do they this? like me? I'm like, what, why do you? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I think if you don't know how you got there, you don't know how you could get, how you could like end up not being there, you know? Yeah. How does it feel to claim your identity as like an author and a writer now? Mm-hmm. In some ways, it just feels like my job. Like, like mm-hmm. if someone's like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, I'm an author and a podcaster. And it's oftentimes their reaction that reminds me that's exciting. <laughs> if that makes sense. Cause like, yeah. I don't think. I don't feel cool at all like in any way. Like I, <laughs> I just feel like I live like a very normal life. Um, but then when I say, and I think about like where I was like five years ago, if someone had said like author and podcasters, that's my job. I would have been like, tell me how, you know, that's really exciting stuff, but now it just feels like normal stuff. Um, so in some ways it just feels like very normal. And then in other ways, if I really, I have to sit and be with myself and be like, whoa, pause. Like, did you hear yourself? Did you, are you really paying attention to like your life unfolding right now? And then other times it feels like, when is this all going to go away? When will this stop? Because this is, you know, like, so I think it's, I run the gamut. Yeah. And, and holding that, I appreciate your mm-hmm. honesty and sharing that. Like it's not all sunshine, butterflies and roses and good feels all the time. Mm-hmm. Even when you quote, get to where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you're still in a messy middle of sorts? Yeah. I think I will probably always be, feel like I'm in a messy middle. I don't mm-hmm. know. I can't imagine what feeling like having gotten somewhere it feel, what that <laughs> would feel like. I've never, I've never felt that sensation and I don't know. And I think I've raised the bar for what that sensation is my whole life. Like, oh, when I get married, I'll feel like, okay, I've made, I've been there. Mm -hmm. When I um, 
you know, when our kid is going to school, then it'll feel like something's happened. Or when I write my first book, then it's going to feel like something's happened. When I write my second book, then it's going to feel like something's happened. And I think the bar just keeps moving for like what I think will feel like settling or like being comfortable looks like, Mm -hmm. whether that's like amount of money or life, life goals, whatever. Um, Yeah. And I think that I have been really good at not, at moving the target so much that yeah. really digesting it and feeling like I've ever the transition will ever end I think is not something I can conceptualize and I get glim- the only glimpses I get of it are through like meditation and mindfulness and presence mm. and really just being like hey you know look at your feet where you're standing look at you know listen breathe in this moment be here in this moment. And, and I think that's, you know, maybe a few times a day I can have that, but yeah, I think in general, I don't know if I'll ever think I've ever stopped transitioning. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that that's my answer too, at this, Mm -hmm. at this point in the journey, it's like, once I moved through one transition consciously more like mindfully, it was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. all of life is a transition. (laughs) Just honestly, we're just moving from one thing to the, to another all the time. And the, at the risk of maybe getting a little bit personal, what I'm really struck by in your presence, it's been a little bit, you guys, listeners, since Sarah Jane and I have gotten to connect. What I was so struck by is how grounded you feel. Hmm. Like I'm experiencing you is just like so um, rooted and anchored and grounded. And so I'm just in this moment, I'm just um, in awe of being able to hold both of those things at the same time and, and how I think you're really modeling that of like, Oh, I can be really deeply grounded and rooted and also accept and be with the fact that my whole life is going to be one big messy (laughs) middle, but that doesn't mean that that's like the, the energetic that I have to Mm -hmm. absorb and also give off in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can find rootedness even in the chaos. And I will say, like, for many, many years, most of my life, I have been just kind of like a bouncy ball bouncing away from all my negative emotions, right? Like, you and me both, doesn't girl. feel good to me. <laughs> it's like something doesn't feel good. I need out of here. So I'm going to like, I was doing so many rapid transitions for so long just because every time something didn't feel good, I pivoted it to fix it. So I do think that like that groundedness is coming from. I can feel uncomfortable. I'm allowed to feel sad. I'm allowed to be angry. I'm allowed to be scared and feel dread and feel like everything could fall apart and still stay and still not abandon myself, not abandon this project, stay in my body, stay in my presence and just let the sensations come and go. And obviously easier some days than others, but. Yeah, of course, of course. What do you want other people to know who might be moving through their own messy middle? Mm, That you can't really mess it up. Mm. You know, like whatever is going to happen, that's what's going to happen. You can't control it. You can't fix it. You can't make it turn into whatever you want it to turn into. It's just going to be. And so you might as well just do what feels best for you and for the people in your life and Like, trust that it's going to be whatever it was always going to be. I really believe, like, the belief in fate relieves so much pressure. (laughs) It's like, Mm. it's going to happen. 
you know? So whether you decide to do it today or you decide to do it six months from now, it's going to, ha- it's going to have the same outcome. So you might as well just go. Yeah. And my parting question for everybody, cause I love to hear the range of answers. What is most important to you now at this point in your life? I want to be a stable force in in the lives of my family and in the lives of the people who, you know, come in contact with my work. I want to be like something that people can rely on mm-hmm. to to be human and open and raw but also self-responsible mm-hmm. <laughs> all at the same time. And I think I'm going to like diverge a little bit because I, my husband asked me recently, like, what did you, what, if you could have had the perfect mom, what would she have been? Mm-hmm. And I described like a responsible person who was stable, who I could rely on, who I could go to for advice, who I trusted, who like knew more than me, who could like guide me and create like a safety for me. And I think honestly, that's what I want to be for myself and for other people is like this thing I always, I so desperately needed. Yeah. Oh, that was so beautiful. Sarah Jane, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it, folks. I wanted to end by practicing what I preach here the art of reflection, and take a bit of time to share my three takeaways from this episode. First, Sarah Jane has inspired me to get back into a more regular journaling practice again. She's such a model for reflection balanced with action. I love how she checks in with herself daily, weekly, quarterly, monthly, all the things. But then she does something about the things she's finding, right? She makes changes. Second, She reminded me that we get to do the damn thing, even when we're doubting ourselves. And self-compassion is exactly how we get through that. Last, she moves me with her capacity to hold the both and. We get to be both grounded and navigating a never-ending series of messy middles all at the same time. Now for a sneak peek. In our next interview, I'm sitting down with Sean Burgeth. You guys, Sean was my boss at one point. He went from being a big fancy executive in supply chain for over 25 years to now being back in school at 47 in order to become a psychotherapist and a coach. And I can't wait to share his messy middle story with you. Last but not least, if you liked this episode or think it might resonate with a friend, please do share it with them. And if you like my vibe, I'd love to connect with you more deeply. Subscribe to the podcast, come find me on Instagram, or learn more about my work at shannonshotler.com. Until next time, go forth into your very own messy middles with courage and compassion.